You're listening to Amazing Discoveries Audio. This is Prophetic Prototype, Episode 5, with Eric Walsh. Hello again. I'm just enjoying the music a little before I speak. And um, we're going to do the rest of the testimony now. This is... Um, it's actually not easy to talk about. When you do these testimonies, they bring you back to darker times in your life, more difficult times, painful experiences, as much as they bring you back to how God brought you through. Before I pray for us to start this session, um, let me read this passage of Scripture. And before I do that, um, I do want to keep us in mind to keep praying. The, we, of course, as you know, there was another mass shooting in the United States yesterday um, with seven individuals killed, including a 17 or 18-month-old child, um, and this was in Texas. And a hurricane, uh, Dorian, is hitting the Bahamas right now with winds of over 185 miles an hour. So even as we're here and we're really not thinking about all these things, there are people really suffering and grieving dealing with some hard times. I don't know if you've ever been to the Bahamas. I've preached on the island of Abaco in the Bahamas, and those little islands, when the hurricanes hit them, it's very tough. So somebody right now is going through their own tribulation song um, related to those events. So I just wanted to say that as we pray, let's keep them in mind. I'll read and then we'll pray. Matthew 5, starting at verse 10. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Our message for this session is entitled, Tribulation song. Tribulation song. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for having us here in this retreat of safety, a spiritual retreat, Lord. We praise your name. Lord, we pray right now for those who are dealing with the natural disaster in the Caribbean and headed towards the United States and the victims of yet another and their families of yet another mass shooting. Lord, we know that time is coming to an end. So now, Lord, as I share this testimony, I ask in a special way, Lord, that you make me just an empty vessel, to fill me with your spirit. Lord, let me not speak. I ask instead that you speak through me and for me. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen. So the first stanza, I gave you a little bit of the background this morning. Um, I was working for the, the health department for the city of Pasadena, um, very engaged in that job, many, many successes. I talked about the monies we brought in to help uh, take care of ind poor individuals suffering from HIV and AIDS, um, ordinances around nutrition that we passed and around smoking, um, and God was blessing my, my career. In fact, there were a couple people who wanted to, when, when Barack Obama's Surgeon General retired, they wanted to submit my name to be the next Surgeon General of the United States. 
so I could see that my career trajectory, and I was very pleased. As everything was going so good, um, when I took that job, I felt like, wow, this is like, this is like a Joseph experience. I said, you know, everything Joseph touched was blessed. The problem is I didn't realize I was at the coat of many colors stage of the story of Joseph, and that there were some hard times to go through uh, in the process. Um, but one of the things I like to talk about when I, say, I do this, and, I, and I'm, I left off with the successes this morning, is that in the process of being involved with, in public health and having all of the career successes I was having, one of the things that happened was I was, and I was just talking to a couple from California, I would be invited to fundraisers in Beverly Hills, and I would go to these palatial mansions in Beverly Hills and in Pasadena to these fundraisers, and the conversation would not be that which a Christian should be exposed to. And there would be alcohol, and there'd be drugs, and there'd be, you know, I didn't see any drugs, but I would definitely see alcohol, which is a drug. (laughs) Um, And the jokes would be inappropriate. And as a Christian, I would go into that environment, and I would justify, say, no, this is for a good cause. We're fundraising around this, this charity or that charity. But I want to tell you, church, I want to submit to you and admit to you that I could not be in that environment and some of it not begin to rub off on me. What I mean by that is all of a sudden, and I never started drinking or doing anything crazy, but it's just the way that it began to turn my mind a bit from God. The focus was always on success and self in that arena, right? Even those who were in the charity work and doing these these things in the city, feeding and clothing people, yet it was still about self. It was about self-exaltation for, for many, not all, but for many. Um, and just being in that milieu, even though I was still pastoring and preaching, being in that milieu, it began to rub off, and it began to taint my soul. The Scripture says that being near Sodom and Gomorrah, it, it, it vexed Lot, right? Just being in the environment does that. And I want to submit to you that I began, in my mind, I began on a path that would have, might have led me to really begin to turn my back on God. Had I been given everything I was asking God for in my career trajectory, I don't know that I'd be still standing here now. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Had I gone to Washington to do the things I was hoping to do, or to Sacramento, or, or, or even the, the, the head of L.A. County's health department, had I gone, kept moving up, I think I would have kept a distance, a space was being generated where I started to see my success as what was important. In fact, one of the lessons I learned in this process is that Satan does not just use failure to destroy people. In fact, he may oftentimes, and maybe even more oftentimes, he uses individual success against them. And that's what was happening with me. The success was really beginning to destroy me. And I submit to you that my Christian walk was suffering. Slowly, quietly, consistently suffering. So that's why the first stanza, and and this is called a song, and that's why there's a prelude and a first stanza for two reasons. One, what got me through this was the book of Psalms. What I'm going to share with you on the slides are the literal, um, actual Psalms that I read to get me through this, and many of them have been redacted because it's too long, and, and spirit of prophecy quotes that got me through this. So what I'm sharing with you is, is a blow by blow of the things God gave me to sustain me. And I say, the Psalms became my pain medicine and prayer was my anxiolytic. Prayer became my anti-anxiety medicine. When I began to fret and worry, I would start to pray. So we left off today, well, let me read this, the man before. So some of the 
Some of the scriptures that came to me, Revelation 3, 3 and verse 18, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. That verse, and, and I, I took out the first part to try and shorten this, because I actually go through what Laodicea was a, a, a about normally. But that verse is important. It says, I counsel thee, Jesus speaking to the church of Laodicea, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire. Watch this. The gold represents the perfection of your character, right? He says you must buy gold tried in the fire. Why? Because it's going to cost you something. The process of character perfection, the work on your character to bring your character to be a reflection of Christ's character is going to cost you something. You've got to buy it. White raiment that thou mayest be clothed and, and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and anoint thine eyes with thy salve that thou mightest see. In fact, you can't see in the state you're in. So Jesus makes one of the boldest statements, in my opinion, in all of Scripture in Revelation 3 and verse 19 through the pen of the Apostle John. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? And repent. He says, because I love you, you're going to go through something. It is a sign of God's love that trials come our way. And I'll get, on, I'll get more into it a little bit later on. Luke 21, 34 says it like this, And take heed to yourself, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness and cares of this life, and so that they come upon you unawares. In the book Steps to Christ, um, there's a, on page 91, I believe it is, it's the spirit of prophecy gives you the, a few things that will cause you to be drawn away. What's interesting that they're all good things. They're the cares of this life. It's, it's, it's making sure your house is set up. It's making sure you have a way to, to provide for your family. It's, it's, a lot of it isn't sinful in and of itself. But you've got to be careful that even the normal, everyday things don't draw you away from God. Jesus says here, listen, you don't want that day to come upon you unawares. The devil would love to have us so busy being good at doing life that we're unaware when the second coming happens. The second stanza of the storm. So I started telling you about today. I'll jump all the way forward to when that first article was written. They took bits and pieces of what I said. They put it out. When that happened, the LA Times picked up the story the next day. The LA Times is the second largest newspaper in the United States, one of the largest newspapers in the world. And when that happened in the era of social media, what do you think happened? They started to share that, that article. And when the, the, the local newspaper, the Pasadena Star News, who really came after me, when they got news of this, they started to put articles about me and against me in the newspaper. And that's when the storm really hit. Because the LA Times article, which I told you they said I should not hold a scientific position for two reasons. One, I believe God created the world. And one, I said I do not want my children to wish upon a star. I want them to pray to the living God. And out of that, that story, it just went around the world. And Adventists would get it. That, that article, or, or, any, or any, and, in, and in the subsequent articles, they would get them, and they would click and share. Click and share. And they thought they were doing a good thing. Wow, look what poor Dr. Walsh is going through. Pray for him. Click and share. What do you think happened the more you clicked and shared on my story? The more people read it, the more people read it, the more advertisement dollars that newspaper could actually ask for. So the more he wanted to write bad stuff about me. <laughs> the clicking and sharing worked against my cause. And the storm got terrible. In fact, there was a point where, in the first few days of this, I laid down on my face. And I was on my face for about two days. 
and I wouldn't come up. I wouldn't drink, eat nothing. I was just laying on my face, and I could feel the demonic weight of what was happening to me. As I'm going to show you, it just gets worse and worse. The weight of it resting on me, and every now and then, I could feel the weight lift. And I said, I remember praying, saying, Lord, what happened? Why did that pressure just lift off of my back? And I was like, the Spirit whispered in my ear, someone is praying for you. And sure enough, I began to get the texts and the messages from around the world that people were praying for me. People began to send me Bible verses and spirit of prophecy to sustain me and to get me through it. And I would read these things. And let me tell you something, without them, I don't know I would have made it. Because now I was an anathema. I was on the nightly news. They took clips of my sermon. They called the church secretary and said, can we play clips of his sermons? The church secretary called me. I said, do not allow them to play my sermons on the news. Tell them no. She told them no. Guess what they did? They played it anyway. It was a good clip, though. I said, well, if they're going to play a clip, that was a good clip of a sermon. <laughs> at, least, at least people heard that sermon. The storm got so terrible that the... the um, the city manager finally had to call me in his office. He First, he called me and put me on a leave of absence, a paid administrative leave of absence. He said, listen, and he, he really liked me. He still does. We, we, we've communicated a couple times since all this. He, he, said, he said, listen, I'm sorry, but there's a fury against you. He said, I don't understand it, in fact. He said, a week ago, you walked on water. You were the most popular of the entire executive team of the city running the health department. That's never happened before. He said, in one week... They, it's as if there are torches after you now. A mob mentality. They want you gone. He said, I'm going to have you go on administrative leave um, and we'll pay you. I didn't know that was a bad thing to go on administrative leave. But when he said you could stay home and get paid, I said, you know, I'll take you up on that offer. I said, things aren't going so good right now. I'll stay home. And so I was at home trying to deal with all of this. And it was catastrophic. The news, the calls, it just got worse and worse and worse. And I began to realize how much mess I was really in. I went all the way into L.A. to talk to a lawyer, to, you know, employment lawyer, saying, hey, this is religious discrimination, a secular lawyer. He laughed at me. He laughed at me and said, listen, he said, you're in trouble. He said, and this is going to follow you the rest of your life. You'll never get past this. He said, you have no case. Because the city was basically now asking me to resign from my job because of what everybody was saying, because of sermons I had preached in the privacy of my own church. And actually, many of them were old sermons. They're from elsewhere. It was devastating. In fact, there was another job I applied for um, earlier that year in January to be the, the, health, the district health officer for North uh, northwest, the Northwest District of Georgia, the state of Georgia in the South, a red state. So I figured, well, you know, this was before the, the thing happened. Two rounds of interviews. When, when this whole story hit the Los Angeles Times, within a day or two, I got a call from Georgia. Hey, we want you to come and interview for that position. They'd already done two FaceTime interviews. They said, we want to fly you to Atlanta. And I said, look, it, God is about to deliver me from out of the hand of the Assyrian and out of the sword of the Philistine, and he's going to deliver me from the mouth of the lion, I'm going to go from a blue state to a red one. And I surely will find safety there. 
And so I, it, what I, I flew to Atlanta. I, I interviewed. I told them what was going on in Pasadena. I was being, and they were all like, oh, that happens to us. No big deal, blah, 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 blah. You know, when we don't do things that certain communities want, they get mad at us. They said, don't worry about it. On my, I didn't get all the way back to Los Angeles before I was hired. And I said, God has delivered me. I was so happy. They started sending me emails. Oh, we've got cabins you can use. They were so thrilled to have me. And later on, I got to actually see all of the emails. They were thrilled to have hired me. In fact, I was so, in, I was so worried. I said, they, they, at what they were going to offer me to pay me up front, I said, listen, I need a raise before I start. You'd think I was in so much trouble, I wouldn't ask for a raise before I started. But my Bible tells me you have not because you ask not. So... <laughs> So that's what the Bible says. So I asked them, and they gave me a $10,000 raise before I started the job. But that was necessary later on. It helped make a point. And so they put out in the newspaper in, in Georgia, and, and on the news, and in, in the media, I don't know where it went first, that I was hired. When the people and the activists in Southern California found out I was hired in Georgia, guess what happened? The next day in the LA Times, there was an article, and in the Pasadena Star News, and they said, listen, we have friends in Atlanta. They said, we will follow him wherever he goes. He will not get that job. That night on the nightly news, a friend of mine in Georgia took a picture of the television. That's what this is. Um, and it says, Dr. Walsh has been offered the position of district public health director within the, within, uh, within the North Georgia Health District, contingent upon results of a background and credentials investigation. And look at the title above my head. Controversial hiring. What was controversial? He's a Christian. And he believes the Bible, and his sermons have upset people. And so the next thing that happened was the state of Georgia, when this started happening, they called me and said, well, you know, we know you told us some of the stuff was going on. They said, send us your sermons. He, one of the guys said, and he said, look, my, my wife works for Charles Stanley. Some of you know who Charles Stanley is, a famous preacher. He said, my wife works for Charles Stanley. I'm a Christian. I, you know, I understand. Send me your most controversial sermons. I sent him like five sermons. Never heard anything back from him. The next day, I left to fly to New York. And when I got to New York, I landed in New York. Um, I was going to speak for a Haitian Youth Federation for Northeastern Conference um, in New England and in New York. And so I was at JFK sitting on the tarmac. I took out my phone and was checking messages and texts and everything. I went through a voicemail from the state of Georgia. And I really should put it in here. I should play it. It'd be interesting to play it live. Um, and they said, listen, Dr. Walsh, we're sorry. We can, we, you no longer have a job with us. They said, you're not hired. And they thought they hung up the phone, but they didn't. And I could hear them laughing and mocking me in the background. Ha, 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 too bad for him, laughing at me. Church, I sat there, and for the first time, this is about maybe a week, week and a half into this ordeal, for the first time, I sat on that plane as everyone else was getting off, I sat there and I wept. And I said, God, what, have, what kind of a hornet's nest have I kicked? These people would deny you the right to work. The people of North Georgia had no problem with me. You understand what I'm saying? They weren't the ones calling the state. And that was it. I lost that job as well. And man, I was heartbroken because, again, my mother was a single mother. I worked hard by God's grace to go through school, relatively debt-free, to get these degrees so I could get jobs like this. 
And here now, in a moment, bam, I had to resign the first job in Pasadena, and, and even that was a struggle. That was the first victory God showed me. When I went to resign that job, and I went into that meeting, and I, um, and I, I went in, the, the head of the HR department came in, and she said, listen, we're not going to give you your full severance, because my contract said you get a severance if, you, if they're asking you to leave and it wasn't your fault. And even the city manager was like, this isn't your fault. I mean, people, everybody in the city has religious beliefs. You're not the only one. So I was supposed to get a full severance. She said, and she was, of course, very anti-me at this point. She said, you get half the severance. She slaps the paper down on the table. Now, she didn't know I had spoken to the city manager earlier in the week, and I already had a paper in my pocket for the full severance. So I took out my paper like a Jamaican playing dominoes, and I slammed it down on the table. And I said, if you don't give me my full severance, I'm going to sue you. Church, I didn't know that felt so good to say. I'd never told anybody I was going to sue them before. And she got afraid because she was like, well, and she's an HR specialist. She knows I'm, I'm, if we went to court, I'd probably win. And I got the full severance. That was the first victory I got. And I was going to need it because to leave a house in Southern California, just to walk away, and it, it was going to be quite expensive after losing that job. But then... The state of Georgia retracted their offer, fired me, however you want to say it, and I lost that job. And I was stuck. Bad thing after bad thing after bad thing just kept happening. Let me go through some of these, and then I'll, I'll tell you how it even gets worse. Psalm 35, verse 11, false witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But in mine adversity they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers and feasts, they gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long without look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. That psalm got me through a whole lot. Psalm 31, I am forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. I'd read before, and I believe it was in the spirit of prophecy, but I'd read before that in time of trial, the Psalms have special value. And let me tell you something. You're going through some difficulty. The difficulties that David goes through are so terrible that the way he writes the Psalms, they resonate with you when you're going through something. It was a powerful thing to have these Psalms. In fact, 2 Timothy 4.16, I love the book of 2 Timothy. I've preached from this book many times. 4.16, at my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. Co-workers that loved me, that worked with me, would have nothing to do with me now. All of a sudden, I was forsaken. It happened overwhelmingly, and I, I, I have to be careful how I say a lot of different things. Um, but even at the time, probably one of the most difficult things that happened at this phase, well, I'll get, I'll get to that in a second, because it leads to this, depression and loneliness. This is where I, I reached. I was distraught. I'd lost my career. I'd seemingly lost really everything. In fact, this was one of the Psalms that got me through this. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but thou hearest not, and in the night season, and I am, am not silent. But thou art holy, O thou that inhabitest the praises of Israel. So there's some more that happens, but one of the things is this. 
I learned that the Psalms are important. I learned that prayer is important. But God showed me that praise is also important. What I learned as I was going through this, and I'm about to tell you how it gets worse. What I learned is that when it was darkest, it was most important to open up the hymnal or sing my Bible songs and sing them out loud by myself. No band, no praise team, no leaders, no fancy lights like in a lot of our churches. Nothing, just me by myself. I can't sing well, but it didn't matter. I decided I was going to praise God. And the Bible says that when you praise him, he inhabits the praises of his people. And I began to praise, I learned to praise God as I was going through all of this because it got worse. The next thing that happened, of course, um, was that I called to the North American Division. I'd met an attorney for the NAD and I, at, one, at, a, at a men's retreat I'd done, and I said, so-and-so, I need help. I'm in trouble, you know. They're coming after me for my religious rights, and I need some help from the church. The young man on the other end said, listen, we heard about your case. We see what's going on. He said, initially, we were all very excited to come and help you. He said, but it came from above us, and they said, listen, we're going to distance ourselves from him. We want nothing to do with him, they said. He said, I'm sorry, Dr. Walsh, but no help is coming. In fact, they're going to publicly distance themselves from you. The next day in the newspaper, the Pasadena Star News, it was credited to one of the workers at the Southern California Conference, but I know for a fact she didn't write it. It was written in Maryland. And it said, this man is not ordained. He does not speak for the church. Basically, we don't know him. And whatever he said, whatever trouble he's in, it's his. And they backed away from me. The ridicule that I received over that was some of the most damaging ridicule. Because many of my enemies outside of the church mocked that that happened. The head of the HR department mentioned that article when she and I met. Your own church won't even stand with you. Why should we give you the rest of your severance? What's interesting, before I tell you how it got even worse, what's interesting is I remember I said I'd spoken at many of the first day churches in Pasadena and the surrounding areas, and I got a call from them. And they said, listen, we're very sorry you're going through what you're going through. Meet us in the basement of Friendship Baptist Church. All of the pastors from the, from the I forget the clergy coalition's name, we're all going to meet you there and pray for you. So while on the one hand I was being rejected by my church, these other churches called me to the basement of church, anointed me with oil, and called on the name of Jesus for my protection. And one pastor who was there, who interviewed me, for, was on the panel and interviewed me for the job in the first place, she said, you have been called for such a time as this. This is why you were given this job. She could understand spiritually what we couldn't. Disheartening difficult, but I did appreciate the fact that they saw my pain. And it got worse. It got worse. At that time, I was, my children were taken from me. 
my wife at the time decided that, told me, you're not going to make any more money. You're in trouble and you'll never recover from it. Took my children, packed up, and left. Cross country. And later filed for divorce. And let me tell you something, that was the most difficult thing that I really could have gone through. Because I love my kids so much. I was in no position to fight for them. I had no money now. I had no leverage. I knew if I went in front of a California court to ask for my children and any of this came out, I would never get my children. We used to watch Professor Weiss with my kids on Friday nights. And here they were snatched from me. And let me tell you something, when I talk about loneliness and depression, I hit a place that I didn't know existed. It was so painful and difficult. And I cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where are you, God? There's nothing I can trust. There's nothing in this world that is stable, Lord. Not work, not career, not an education, not the church, not even family. And I got to a point where this became my favorite Bible verse, 1 Kings 19 and verse 4. It says, but he himself won a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die and said, it is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my father's. I got to a point where I, I wasn't suicidal. I just got to a point where I prayed and said, Lord, it's enough. There's nothing left for me to lose I'm happy to die now. My sermons are online. If you take me, I'm sure more people will listen to them. I'm happy to go, Lord. You can take me. But isn't it interesting that Elijah, Elijah is the only person in the Bible I know of that actually asks God to take his life, but never dies. When the time comes for Elijah to go, chariots of fire come to get him. Unlike John the Baptist, he's delivered this way. And, and I wonder if it's because of this prayer itself. But I'm telling you, you go to church and you, you're around people, sometimes you have no idea the pain they're dealing with. I don't know how I even made it through this time. It was dark. It was horrible. Psalm 55, 12 says, For it was not an enemy. This was the psalm that came to me when that article was published in the paper. Psalm 55, 12, 4, it was not an enemy that reproached me, then I could have borne it. Neither was it he that hated me that did magnify himself against me. Then I would have hid myself from him. But it was you, a man, mine equal, my guide, and mine acquaintance. David says, what was so painful isn't that it's an enemy that's chasing me. It's that's the house of Israel that wants me dead. It is Saul and my own brothers that are chasing me, David is saying. And that's how I felt and when I needed the church, when I needed my family, because I had nothing to offer, because it seemed like I was just a burden, everyone backed away. 
The spirit of prophecy. People started sending me quotes. Look at these quotes on what happens to you when you stand up for God. Troublous times are before us. In many instances, friends will become alienated. Without cause, men will become our enemies. The motives of the people of God will be misinterpreted, not only by the world, but by their own brethren. The Lord's servants will be put in hard places. A mountain will be made of, of a molehill to justify men in pursuing a selfish, unrighteous course. Look at this last part. The work that men have done faithfully will be disparaged and underrated because apparent prosperity does not attend their efforts. That's from Our Father Cares, page 300. She goes on to say, by misrepresentation, these men will be clothed in dark vestments of dishonesty because circumstances beyond their control made their work perplexing. Circumstances beyond my control made my work perplexing. They will be pointed to as men that cannot be trusted. You can't trust him. And this will be done by members of the church. God's servants must arm themselves with the mind of Christ. They must not expect to escape insult and misjudgment. They will be called enthusiasts and fanatics, but let them not become discouraged. God's hands are on the wheel of his providence, guiding his work to the glory of his name. When the religion of Christ is most held in contempt, when his law is most despised, then should our zeal be the warmest and our courage and firmness the most unflinching. To stand in defense of truth and righteousness when the majority forsake us, to fight the battles of the Lord when champions are few, this will be our test. Look at what she says. At this time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others, courage from their cowardice, and loyalty from their treason. When you're turned against, when, they, when, they, when they're cowards, when they're not willing. I, I said, where is Matthew 18? Why didn't anyone call me? Later on when I talked to a church official, they said, we had to distance ourselves from you because we read in a newspaper where they said, you said that Muhammad was a Satanist and we were afraid of, for Muslim missionaries in foreign countries. I said, I've never said such a thing. The guy running the newspaper was making up stuff because it was selling newspapers. In fact, one article they wrote, there were four um, sermons that were, um, that were um, put in, that were embedded into the, sermon, uh, into the article, the journal article online. The PR guy for our church went through, listened to all four sermons, and everything that this woman who wrote the article said, I said in the sermon, not one thing was in one of those sermons. They were literally making up fake news. There's no, and I'm not, I'm not even trying to make a pun or a joke. They were literally lying through their teeth to make me look even more sinister, to turn the Muslims in the town against me, to turn everyone in the town against me. They wrote one article saying that I'm against single mothers. I said, I'm against single mothers. My mother was a single mother raised me. I got to be against single mothers. I had a sermon on the importance of fathers. And they took it and said, no, he's against single mothers. It's the kind of stuff that they do and they did. This was, it was crazy. And I said, why didn't the church call me and ask me? I saw the, conf, the conference worker for Southern, Southern California Conference. To her credit, she showed me the emails she sent back to the NAD. She showed me, she told me, she said, he is being misrepresented. Do not believe what they're saying. She told them that. They decided instead to lay down the hammer on me so that they could fall on the side of popular opinion rather than stand for the cause of Christ. But this line says, at that time, we must gather warmth from the coldness of others. When they're cold, get warmer. When, they're, when, they're, when they are cowards, you become more courageous. 
And I like the last one. When they're treasonous, you become more loyal. By the grace of the living God, I decided, I determined, when I read that article, I wept. I'm not a major, I'm no major preacher. I've not gone around the world. I preach, I preach all over the world. I've baptized many people. I have no idea how many. I, I, you know, I, I don't even keep track of stuff like that. I don't even care. But I was really hurt to know that the times out of my pocket I've flown around the world to do crusades and do things, that now when it was convenient to kick me to the curb, I was kicked. But I said, you know what? By the power of the Almighty God, I'm going to be more loyal. I will not speak one word against the remnant church. I said, I won't do it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to do it because everybody was calling me. People started calling me and saying, listen, one guy called me and said, I'm not going to pay my tithe. If this is what they're doing to you, I'm no longer paying tithe. I said, man, you know you ain't paid nobody no tithe since the 1990s. Don't, <laughs> don't you put that sin on me. You return a faithful tithe. Other people said, I'm leaving the church. If they did you like this, I'm, I said, do not use what they're doing to me as an excuse for you to walk into iniquity. Because I'm not leaving the church. I'm going to stay right here. I had a message from Dr. Vibe. He said, put glue on your backside and glue yourself to the chair. He said, the glue is in place and it's drying. And this is what I, this is what I, pre, this is what God showed me. He's, from Councils for the Church, page 240, God is a church upon the earth who are his chosen people, who keep his commandments. He is, not, he is leading, not straight offshoots, not one, in, well, not one here, one there, but a people. Says, he says, although there are evils existing in the church and will, be, and will be until the end of the world, the church in these last days is to be the light of the world that is polluted and demoralized by sin. The church, enfeebled and defective, needing to be reproved, warned and counseled, is the only object upon earth upon which Christ bestows his supreme regard. Watch this. God has a distinct people, a church on earth, second to none, but superior to all in their facilities to teach the truth, to vindicate the law of God. God has divinely appointed agencies, men whom he is leading, who have borne the heat and burden of the day, who are cooperating with heavenly instrumentalities to advance the kingdom of Christ in our world. Let all unite with these chosen agents and be found at last among those who have the patience of the saints, who keep the commandments of God and have the faith of Jesus. When they become disloyal, you become more loyal. She says there is no need to doubt, to be fearful that the work will not succeed. God is at the head of the work and he will set everything in order if matters need adjusting at the head of the work. God will attend to that and work to right every wrong. Let us have faith that God is going to carry the noble ship which bears the people of God safely into port. You ever go on those whaling boats? They probably have them off the coast of Vancouver like they do off the coast of California. I was on one one time and they started jumping and chopping. I was with an Adventist group. Chopping, chopping, chopping the boat. People started getting nauseous, throwing up all over the boat. I went in the one little corner in the middle of the boat, close to the middle of the boat I could get because I figured that's the best place to be. And I stood there, closed my eyes, and just rode it out. Couldn't see a whale anywhere. It was like the whales knew we were coming and went further out. And we were just jumping. And one man, finally, he just screams out, I'm jumping off the ship. I said, man, are you crazy? You can't jump off. This is the Pacific Ocean. You know how cold that water is? The sharks will have you for an appetizer. 
I don't care how bad the ship rocks. I don't care how much vomit is in the ship. At the end of the day, the only safety is still in the ship. The fourth stanza. So now I am perceivably unemployed, but I'm Jamaican, so I always have at least three jobs. Amen. So <laughs> some of you get that. Some of y'all don't get that because you don't know Jamaicans. If you knew Jamaicans, that would make sense. Um, and so I was at my friend's house and he says, what are you going to do? You don't have a job. I said, you know, I've always wanted to be a missionary, but I was so caught up in my career, I never could do it. He said, a missionary? I said, I've always wanted to be a missionary to Guam. He said, Guam? I could tell he didn't know where Guam was. He said, Guam? And I said, yeah. I said, I remember when I was working on faculty at Loma Linda, they called me, but I was too busy working on my career, working on my doctorate. I couldn't go. And he shook his head. What? Within 30 minutes of me saying that, I got an email from the physician recruiter for the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic, Dr. Walsh. We would love to have you come and be a missionary physician at the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic. 30 minutes. And with that, I filled out the paperwork. I had a Guam medical license within like a few weeks. I was on a plane to Guam within like six or eight weeks. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I found out in my time of trial that we are often worried about what God has already solved. And I went to Guam alone. And it wasn't, it wasn't easy, but it was the cleft of the rock for me. The Chamorro people, the beautiful people that inhabit that island, the indigenous people of that island, their name in their native tongue for that island is the rock. And God hid me in the cleft of the rock. Let me tell you something. I'm, a, I'm, a, you know, I'm an African-American dude from the inner city. I was snorkeling, swimming, jet skiing, hiking. Boy, it was like a one-year vacation, man. I had the best time of my... I played basketball with the kids in the neighborhood. It was amazing. And I realized, you know, God, you get... Life will beat you up. God always has a place to protect you. And on my way on the plane, I remember being on the plane saying, okay, Lord, I'm not preaching. I quit. I'm not preaching, Lord. I got off the plane and I met um, and Dr. Robinson, the, the medical director for the clinic, greeted me at 2 a.m. And I was putting my stuff in the car, still very depressed. I just lost everything. He said, Dr. Walsh, we've been listening to your sermons on Audioverse. We're glad you're here. You're preaching Wednesday night. <laughs> Psalm 25, unto thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which have transgressed without cause. This is one of the best Bible songs, by the way. If you, I would sing it for you, but I love you too much to do that to you. Verse 3, yea, let none that wait on thee be ashamed. Remember not, look at what David says, remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions. According to the, thy mercy, remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. Let me tell you something. While I was wrestling, God sent me there like, it was like a Patmos. And while I was there, I was wrestling with God nightly in study and in prayer. And God had me go back and begin to look at the condition of my character. And God had me to ask, and that's what I was telling you in the, in the, in the question and answer session earlier. That's the night, one night I went to pray to say to God, why are you allowing all of this to happen to me? And when I opened my mouth to pray, I'm not worthy. 
I'm not worthy. That's all that would come out. God began to speak to me, where were you? Like Job, when I created this world. He said, don't you realize it's me who passed your exams? I'm the reason your tuition was paid. I got you the jobs that you're lamenting now. Everything you had, I gave it to you. And I was humbled. And I could, it was a spiritual shift. Before that time, I really did want position. I'll be honest. I liked moving up the corporate ladder in government. I really appreciated it. I loved the feeling. I liked standing in front of the city council and, and dealing with the dignitaries from Sacramento and Washington. I have pictures with all kinds of polit politicians. And I've met many of the people that, you, if I've told you some of the politicians I've met, you'd be surprised. I, I, I enjoyed it. Supreme Court justices even. Enjoyed it. And God was saying, this is not what I called you to. Here you are by yourself alone. It's time to get to know me all over again. And it was a blessing. Psalm 25, 19, consider mine enemies for they are many and they hate me with cruel hatred. Oh, keep my soul and deliver me. Let me not be ashamed for I put my trust in thee. Look at what he says. This is what happens when you go through trial. Let integrity and uprightness preserve me. For now I wait on thee. The psalm says all of a sudden, I don't want my intellect. I don't want my credentials to uphold me. I want to be upheld by righteousness, by integrity. I want my strength to come from God. Lord, I'm going to wait for you. And I'm going to wait on you. Then verse 22 is powerful. It says, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. Because going through troubles is a part of the process of redemption. Redeem me, Father. And I began to ask God, why, why did I go through all of this while I was there? And this is what the spirit of prophecy revealed. It is, it, meeting difficulties develop spiritual muscles. It is his providence that brings us into varying circumstances. In each new position, we meet a different class of temptations. How many times when we are placed in some trying situation, we think this is a wonderful mistake, how I wish I had stayed where I was before. Let me tell you something. When I was going through this trial, I said, I should have stayed at Loma Linda. I should have stayed in Orange County. I should have, I, there's a whole bunch of places I should have gone. I should not have come where I went. I started thinking I should have stayed. I should have stayed. But look at what the spirit of prophecy says. She says, but why is it that you are not satisfied? It is because, don't miss this church. It is because your circumstances have served to bring new defects in your character to your notice. But nothing is revealed but that which was in you. And God said to me, the reason trials are so uncomfortable is not because of the storm. It is because of your condition. It's what's on the inside of us that makes the storm so painful, so difficult to navigate. You see, if Je when Jesus was on the ship, remember the story? And the, and the storm came and the ship started to fill up with water. He was able to sleep, probably soaking wet in the back of the ship. The disciples said, don't you care? Master, carest thou not that we perish? Jesus said, well, now you guys have a little bit of faith. And he says, peace be still, and it's over. Let me tell you something. If Jesus is in the ship, it can't sink. He wrote the laws of physics. They didn't realize that as long as the same thing happened with Lazarus. Mary and Martha said, why? If you were here, he wouldn't have died. That's exactly why he didn't come sooner. He waited so that Lazarus would die so he could work his greatest miracle. 
If Jesus is in the vessel we used to sing as a child, if Jesus is in the vessel, you can smile at the storm. But the spirit of prophecy is saying is, when you go through trials and you feel that discomfort, it's not the storm that's making you feel uncomfortable, it's your condition. What should you do when you are tried by the providences of the Lord? She says, you should rise to the emergency of the case and overcome your defects of character. That's what trial is, an opportunity to grow. Obstacles develop strength. It is obstacles that make men strong. It is not helps, but difficulties, conflicts, rebuffs that make men of moral sinew. Too, too much ease and avoiding responsibility have made weaklings and dwarfs of those who ought to be responsible men of moral power and strong spiritual muscle. This is one of the reasons why you go to the third world to churches, they're so strong, and you go to the, the developed world, and it's so, the church is often so flimsy. God's love for his children during the period of their severest trial is as strong and tender as in the days of their sunniest prosperity, but it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace fire. Their earthliness must be consumed. My earthliness needed to be consumed that the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected. The furnace fires are not to destroy, but to refine, ennoble, sanctify. Without trial, we would not feel so much our need of God and his help, and we would become proud and self-sufficient. In the trials that come to us, we should see the evidences that the Lord's eye is upon us and that he means to draw us to himself. Powerful. It is not the whole but the wounded who need a physician. It is those who are pressed almost beyond the point of endurance who need a helper. The fact that we are called upon to endure trial proves that the Lord sees something in us very precious, which he desires to develop. If he saw in us nothing whereby he might glorify his name, he would not spend time in refining us. We do not take special pains in pruning brambles. Christ does not cast worthless stones into, the, into his furnace. It is valuable ore that he tests. And you know what I got out of this? The question I asked my whole life, why do wicked people seem to do so much better than the people of God? In my trial and with this passage, it made sense. If God is trying to perfect your character, you're going to have difficulties that the person who has rejected the Holy Spirit, is, they're not going to have that same trial. Life is going to be easy for them because they don't stand on any side and there's no reason for God to work to perfect their, their character. The blacksmith puts the iron and steel into the fire that he may know what manner of metal they are. The Lord allows his chosen ones to be placed in the furnace of affliction in order that he may see what temper they are of and whether he can mold and fashion them for his work. It may be that much work needs to be done in your character building, that you are a rough stone which must be squared and polished before it can fill a place in God's temple. You need not be surprised if with chisel and hammer God cuts away the sharp corners of your character until you are prepared to fill the place he has for you. No human being can accomplish this work. Only by God can it be done and be assured that he will not strike one useless blow. Watch this. His every blow is struck in love for e your eternal happiness. He knows your infirmities and he works to restore and not to destroy. When trials arise that seem unexplainable, we should not allow our peace to be spoiled. However unjustly we may be treated, let not passion arise. By indulging a spirit of retaliation, we injure ourselves, we destroy our own confidence in God, and grieve the Holy Spirit. There is by our side a witness, a heavenly messenger, who will lift up for, a sta uh, uh, for us a standard against the enemy. I like this last part. He will shut us in with the bright beams of the Son of Righteousness. Beyond this, Satan cannot penetrate. He cannot pass the shield of holy light. To be like Jesus, page 246. And while I was in Guam, and before I even left for Guam, the battle began to rage. I resigned from the one job. I began to get calls from, from people all over that are um, 
religious liberty lawyers outside of our denomination, from the West Coast, from the South, started to call me and say, listen, you've got a case against the state of Georgia and maybe against the city of Pasadena. They were leaving me messages left and right. We, we want to fight your case. At first, I kind of ignored them. Then finally, someone said, no, you should listen to them. And so they, I, I talked to one of them, and they said, listen, we did a public records request act, which is something you can do in the States and get information from the government. They said, we've looked at the, the, the emails from Pasadena and from Georgia. Pasadena, you signed something. I signed it for my severance. You can't fight there. But Georgia, the emails show that they discriminated against you based on your religious beliefs. They said, it is overwhelming. You have a case. He said, I'll fax you the papers, you sign it, and we'll, we'll represent you. And I said, that just doesn't seem right. So I prayed. I said, Lord, how do I know who I should go with? And it came to me. I said, well, whoever's willing to come all the way to California, take me out to eat, that's the person I'm going with. <laughs> because I want to know that they're willing to not only spend plane tickets, but time with me. I got a call from First Liberty Institute out of Dallas, Texas, and a group of evangelical lawyers, who this is their passion, religious liberty. Jeremy Dice, a phenomenal lawyer, called me and he said, uh, Dr. Walsh, we've heard what's going on with you. He said, listen, we want to fly to Los Angeles and we'll take you to dinner and we want to sit and talk to you about your case. I knew right then and there that was the firm that I was going to go with. They flew to Los Angeles. We went down the street from the conference office in Glendale, California, to the Glen Glendale Galleria Mall, for those of you who know California. And we sat in a restaurant there, and we talked, and they said, listen, this is a problem in America, and we've got to stand up. We've got to fight for your rights, because if we don't fight for you, this is going to happen to many. They said, what evidence do you have? I said, all I have is a voicemail. I've heard that there are emails out there. He said, no, don't worry about that. We'll get those. So I, so I played him the voicemail. Remember? Well, they thought they hung up the phone. When they heard the voicemail, the two lawyers high-fived. <laughs> and they were laughing and smiling. I said, this is not funny. That was very painful what happened to me. They said, no, you don't understand. We pray before we take a case. And we ask God to give us a sign, a, a, a piece of evidence that will show that we will win the case. They said, what you've just shown us is that evidence. They said, we'll take your case. And they, they were able to copy the voicemail, and they took the case, and we went to battle. We, 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 signed, we sent something to the Obama administration through the um, Equal Employment, EEOC, I forget what, Equal Employment Opportunity Commission or whatever it stands for, and we sent it to them. And I went off to Guam. I had to go to Atlanta and stand in front of the cameras again before that, though. And that was horrible, because once I got in front of the cameras, guess what happens? All the articles start being written about me again. And all the Adventists start clicking and sharing. And, all, and it, every, time it every time I went in front of a camera, the whole thing exploded all over again. And that's why some of you are like, oh, I heard something happened to you in Georgia. Oh, I heard something. Because you, you probably got wind of one of the social media outbursts that came from this. Took the government six or seven months to respond. I said, man, these guys... Either they're busy or they really have nothing to do. One of the two, because I don't know how it could have taken them that long to respond to a simple request. And, the, and done, under that administration, the response was, you have no case. Nothing terrible was done to you. It's all fine. The city had, the, some of the people in the city had come up with some stuff against me, which was completely bogus. Couldn't hold water. <laughs> but they said, nope, you don't have a case. By now, I was coming back from Guam. And um, I'd already, I prayed again, and I said, Lord, where am I going to work? He got me a job working for a Christian um, 
federally qualified health center that took care of homeless people 50% time and I was juggling jobs. Finally, I said, Lord, I need a real job again with some benefits and stability. And again, I said, listen, Lord, I'll know where to go because they'll, they'll make an offer and they'll take me to dinner. And what I did was I wrote out on a piece of paper the exact amount of money I needed to make up for all I had lost because the missionary salary was a fraction of what I was making at home. And, you know, I had all kinds of bills and debts continuing to pile up on me. And so I put that in writing. They came, I went, I started working in Bakersfield, California. And the COO of the company and the CMO said, listen, Walsh, we want to take you to lunch. We got a job offer we want to make you. I'll go to lunch with them. And they, and they slide, a, the CEO writes a number on a piece of paper, slides across, they listen, we need you to be the medical director of this and this clinic. And when I picked up the paper and I looked at the number, it was the exact amount to the decimal point of what I told God I would need to become whole again. And I took the job. So when my lawyers came back to me, I was now working in Bakersfield, and they said, listen, the EEOC won't take your case, but we believe... You still have a case. We're going to ask the federal government permission to sue the state of Georgia. I said, wait a minute. You've got to ask the government permission to sue the government? How does that make any sense? He said, it's just the way it is. So we asked the government permission, the feds, to sue Georgia. Of course, at that time, they were probably happy to have us sue in Georgia because they were politically opposite. So we got permission to sue the state of Georgia. I had to fly back to Georgia again, and again, I get in front of the cameras and the whole thing explodes again. When they went to do Discovery Church, one of the things they asked for, they asked for contracts of me working for the church. They wanted, they, so I had the contracts from all the conferences I'd ever worked for as a pastor. I've worked in two conferences as a, as, a, as a pastor, associate pastor. They wanted those contracts. They wanted to know if I'd ever made any money from my sermons that are online. I told my attorneys, this is the easiest answer you're ever going to get. I've never received a red penny for any sermon I've ever preached that is online. But the last thing they asked for is they wanted every copy of every sermon I had ever written. My attorney said, if, you'd written, if you've written a sermon on a napkin, write, you, mean you need to turn it over. If there are sermons written in the margins of your Bible, turn it over. I said, this is crazy. So I went home and tried to find all this information. I got a call from my attorney. They said, stop. You may remember that in the city of Houston, Texas, the mayor requested the sermons of five pastors, five totally unconnected pastors. And it caused such an outcry that eventually the mayor was voted out of office and run out of Texas. I think she works for Harvard or Yale or something now. And my lawyers, when they saw this, one of the head lawyers said, this is it. And they said, we're going to get the state of Georgia for asking them for sermons. And they flew me to the state capital of the great state of Georgia, which was once the South is still called the Bible Belt. It's also the kidney stone belt and the heart attack belt, the stroke belt as well. But um, it is the Bible Belt. And Georgia used to be the buckle of the Bible Belt. That's what they told me when I got to Georgia. And all of these people greeted me. And this whole tide began to change. I, got, I, I was standing in the middle of the state capital for one of the great states of the United States, the state of Georgia. Just around the corner was the governor's office, and just down the hall and around the corner was the attorney general's office. And here I stand with the staircase up to all the representatives and state senators' offices. I stand here, the TV cameras are there, and, they're behind, and as I go to speak, there's a crowd full of people. They hide me upstairs because they're scared some activists 
trying to do me some harm or something. So I'm, I'm, they're high, my lawyers have me upstairs in the building. When I come downstairs and it's my turn to speak, I deliver a message from God. I thought I had a message prepared. God spoke through me on the importance and sacredness of the religious freedom of our nation. And that when a man sits down or a woman sits down to write a sermon, how sacred the connection is between that person and their God. Five minutes, boom, done. When I turned to look behind me, there were 40-something people standing behind me from every denomination, Southern Baptist, Missionary Baptist, Southern Missionary Baptist, um, Pentecostals, the, the, the Christian schools and universities. The only denomination probably not represented, except for me, was ours. And that's not our fault. I should have called some of my friends. I could have had some of my friends come stand with me there. And as I look back at the crowd of people standing in to support me, and these were some high-ranking people. I told you some of the conservative Americans that were in the crowd that day to stand with me. One of the state senators, when he met me, he slapped me five. He said, man, you can preach. I said, what are you talking about? He said, man, I love your preaching. I listened to some, one of your sermons last night. And they stood with me. And God whispered in my ear, you were never alone. That night, church, that night, that night, the first night, 40-something thousand people signed a petition on my behalf. To the, state, to the governor of Georgia. The phone rang so <laughs> consistently in the governor and the attorney general's offices that they were fighting to try and get the people to send the phone calls to the other office. All of a sudden, where I was bound and the whole thing was just terrible, all of a sudden like this, the whole thing began to change. And my attorney said, now you got to wait. And nothing happened. And I'll tell you this, because I normally don't include this in the, in the testimony. But in November of that year, something happened. A new president was elected. And that, I think, might have been the tipping point. Because that president was told by some people on the right in our country about my case. And he began, and his, some of his um, advisors began to mention my name as an example of the erosion of religious freedom and liberty in our country. The state of Georgia did not have a case. We would have won, but what my attorney told me is, these people, the state has, the state has attorneys hired for generations. If somebody gets a job at the state, they stay there for benefits for their whole legal career. So they can fight a case for 20 years. They don't care. So that's why he said they're never going to settle. But when the current president of the United States started talking about it, they got afraid. And all of a sudden, we got a call. In fact, I was on my knees having morning devotion. And my phone began to vibrate. And I finished praying. I picked up the phone. And I saw there was a text from one of my attorneys. I called him back. I said, Roger, what's going on? He said, listen. He said, I think they may want to settle. I'm not sure. I said, what do you mean? He said, they've asked for us to go to mediation. And I said, what does that mean? He said, they might want to settle. He said, I can't promise you that. Lawyers never promise you anything, like radiologists. They never make a, de a definitive diagnosis of anything, right? So it, it, it's possible it could be a fracture, right? Um, and so I said, I said, Roger, you don't understand. I was just praying and asking God. I just told God, I can't take this anymore. The weight of this case is killing me. I'm tired of this all the time, and I need to be free. He said, well, if you were just finished praying for it, he said, God answered your prayer yesterday. 
because the state of Georgia called yesterday. I'm just telling you now because of the time difference. And the Spirit of God whispered in my ear, before you call, I will answer. In church, the time came when we went in front of them, and we went to, to the state of Georgia, and we started to, um, we, we, we went to the mediator, and when I got there, the mediator shook my, he was so happy to meet me, it was very strange. And then um, I, we went to a separate room, and they said, listen, this is what we'll do, they're going to send over a, a, a monetary amount, and you send back a counter offer. I said, you mean we're going to just send paper back and forth, like sixth grade? I said, we don't text? What are we, the Flintstones? Why, why are we doing it this way? He said, because at the end, we're going to destroy the paper. So there's no evidence of any of the discussions. Huh? They said, and then for first, we're going to go over there, and you're going to have to sit across from them, and you're going to have to, you can say your piece in front of them. I said, I'm not saying nothing. I'm going to let my lawyer speak for me. Early on, when the newspaper and the radio and the TV stations were calling me at the very beginning of this whole thing a few years earlier, Every time I thought to defend myself to go on national public radio or Channel 5 News in Los Angeles or, or wherever it was or to make a statement in the paper, the Spirit of God would whisper in my ear, like a lamb led to the slaughter is dumb, so said he not a word. It was as if God was saying, do not say a word, don't fight for yourself, I will fight for you. And guess what? I wasn't going to mess with that principle at this point. So I said, I'm not going to say anything. And we went in the room and the table was like, it was long, longer than the table of the Last Supper, more than 12 people on each side. And, and, and when, I, when I, we went in there, everyone from the state of Georgia, Dr. Walsh, good to meet you. They were just shaking my hand and smiling. It was weird. I said, I've watched a lot of law shows. I didn't know everybody was so friendly in this business. They were all shaking my hand. And I went and I sat down and my attorney said, listen, you publicly did this and you publicly did that and you owe them. And they said what they said. And we got up and went to our separate corners, like a boxing match. We went to our separate corners. The first paper they sent out was six figures, church. Six figures of U.S. dollars. And I didn't know what that meant, so I sat there. I was in prayer. I was just praying and fasting. I, would, I was praying. And my attorneys, again, high fives. I said, why are you so happy? They said, if this is the first offer, Dr. Walsh, it's over. They came today to settle. This is the first offer. And they sent back and forth for a little bit to finally the amount, the original amount doubled. And the mediator said, that's as high as they'll go. He came in the room, that's as high as they'll go, Dr. Walsh. They say they will go no higher. Are you okay with this amount? I said, yeah, I'm perfectly fine with that amount. I mean, I'm good. And my attorney said, no. He wants, tell, go back and tell the state of Georgia he wants an apology. I said, that's right, I want an apology. <laughs> and the mediator went back over to the state of Georgia and said, well, Dr. Walsh is requesting an apology. He comes back into the room with us and he says, the state of Georgia says they will not give you an apology, but they will add $25,000 to the amount. I said, listen, I don't need an apology that bad. <laughs> I'll take the cat where I come from. People don't often mean their apology anyway. <laughs> the next day, one of the state senators, the one who said he, he enjoyed my preaching, he went on the state of the floor of their house or whatever they call it there in Georgia and he apologized on behalf of the state of Georgia for me. I took a, he, he took a lot of flack. I got a lot of flack. They, my attorneys wouldn't even show me the articles that were written <laughs> lambasting the two of us. I said, that's all right. I'll take $25,000. They can keep writing the articles. <laughs> when that mediation was finished, the mediator came, pulled me aside separately. He said, Dr. Walsh, 
I want to tell you to keep preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said, I preach like you preach. He said, and if my sermons came out, they'd probably kick me out of the bar. And even some of the people from the other side, as my attorneys, as we gathered to begin to pray, some of them were, wanted to, were coming over to pray with us. Psalm 23 came to mind. David writes and he says, Thou preparest a table for me in the presence of mine enemies. But that wasn't the only victory I got. I'd lost a lot, and there's really no monitor. By the time the government take their cut and attorneys take their cut, it really wasn't much money, honestly. And I didn't care about the money. I really was more concerned about being over because the reason I fought when my attorneys came back and I had that good job in Bakersfield, I told them I don't need to keep going. I have a good job now. Just, let's just let, let, let sleeping dogs rest. And they said, no, your denomination pays your pastors. They give them benefits, even in retirement. He said, many of the pastors in America are bivocational like you are. If we let this slide, they will come after bivocational pastors who work during the week at a factory and preach on Sunday. If we let this slide, they will come after all of those pastors if they say something they don't like. He said, you've got to stand up. And that's when I decided to stand. So it wasn't about the money that I fought. I would have, they could have kept the money, and I would have worked an extra job to make the money because it would have been easier. But that wasn't the only victory. While I was in Guam, I got an email on, on, a, in, in, on June, on Father's Day, from, from a young lady, and she was just encouraging me. She had emailed me a few months earlier, encouraging me, and this time I responded. I didn't remember her, um, and so um, she began to send me devotionals and praying for me, and we'd pray long distance over the phone, not knowing, I don't remember what she looked like, but I saw this, this woman had a very Christ-like character, and I had decided at this point that I would just stay by myself the rest of my life. So there was no, you know, I just, I just, it was nice to have a Christian friend. But when I realized the quality of the character, I said, Lord, I want to know what the package looks like. So, <laughs> so I requested some pictures. And I was like, eh, the pictures just look okay. We'll just stay friends. And we kept talking, 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 talking. I know, women, don't take off your shoes and throw them. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. And so I was preaching on the East Coast, and I decided to fly up to Connecticut to visit this friend. And um, when she pulled up, I said, man, her pictures don't do her justice. This girl looks like a supermodel. And then she sang, I said, man, she sings like an angel. Long story short, a little over a year ago, I married Jackie. And I have to tell you that after all the trial I went through, I referred to her as my reward and my Rachel. And fortunately, I have not found her sitting on any idols. Um, <laughs> but she has been my reward. And I always say that because it was, what I went through was just that traumatic. It was just that difficult. Last few slides and, and then we're done. Psalm 35, plead my cause, O Lord, with them that strive with me. Fight against them that fight against me. Take hold of shield and buckler and stand up for mine help. Draw it also spear and stop the way against them that persecute me. Say unto my soul, I am thy salvation. Like verse 4, let them be confounded and put to shame that seek after my soul. Let them be turned back and brought to confusion that devise my hurt. You know what I learned? You can pray these as prayers. They're in the Bible. So I pray them as prayers. 
2 Timothy 4, 16, I've, I read you the first part earlier. At my first answer, no man stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it be not laid to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by, my, but that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear. And I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion, Paul says. And you know what God showed me when this is all over? He said, you have no idea how many people heard the message of Jesus Christ because of what you went through. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he hath put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many shall see it and fear and shall trust in the Lord. Last couple, a couple tidbits. Um, Acts of the Apostles, page 467. It is the triumph of the Christian faith that it enables its followers to suffer and be strong, to submit and thus do what? and thus to conquer. Isn't that powerful? God has a purpose in sending trial to his children. He never leads them otherwise than they would choose to be led if they could see the end from the beginning and discern the glory of the purpose they are fulfilling. Do not dishonor God. This is for those of us who are going through something right now. Somebody in here is going through something. Do not dishonor God by words of repining, but praise him with heart and soul and voice. Look on the bright side of everything. Do not bring a cloud or a shadow into your home. Praise him who is the light of your countenance and your God. Do this and see how smoothly everything will go. Peter, I read this earlier in the sermon earlier. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice inasmuch as you are partakers of Christ's sufferings. Ellen White says this is the highest honor that God can bestow upon us, to suffer with Christ. That when his glory shall be revealed, you may be glad also with exceeding joy. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you, for the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God, and if it first begin at us, what shall the end of them be that, of, of them that obey not the gospel of God? And if the righteous scarcely be saved, where shall the ungodly and the sinner appear? Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. We've got to stay committed to being faithful. This is the last slide and is now one of my favorite Bible verses. This is a, a powerful, short, seemingly insignificant passage of Scripture. But it says, Micah 7, 8, Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness... The Lord shall be a light unto me. A just man falls seven times, rises every time. You know how he rises? God helps him up. Some of you are going through something. Some, you know, I've heard some of your stories of what you're dealing with. Let me tell you something. You're going to go down. Things will go down. Ministries go down. Families may go down. Jobs go down. Things go down. The Christian is a Christian because he will not stay down. Because you will reach out and grab the hand of Christ when it's reached down to you like the woman caught in adultery. Jesus reaches down the hand and lifts her up. When you're down, it is an opportunity to have Christ lift you up. I challenge you as you go through trial and difficulty to remember there's a time of trouble coming. These little trials are to prepare us for that. But I also want you to remember, it doesn't matter how many times you go down, how many times you fall, how difficult life gets. 
Christ is in the business of picking you up. Let him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to share this testimony. I pray in a special way now, Lord, for those that are here and for this ministry, for all of us who have been speaking, especially for Professor Weiss. Lord, I pray in a special way, Lord, that this work would be finished. So, Father God, I thank you for bringing me through my trial. But, Lord, I understand now that my character needed to be developed, that I needed to be humbled. But Father God, I needed to learn to lean and trust on you more. Because, Father God, each one of us, you have a, a, a work for every one of us to do. Lord, I pray that we would submit as you, the potter, mold us like clay so that we would be vessels fit to be used in the hand of Almighty God. This is our prayer in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let the church say amen, amen. and amen. If this episode impacted you, please share it with others. Amazing Discoveries is a donor-supported ministry. To help us keep producing content like this, visit AmazingDiscoveries.org. And, as always, you can find the visual presentation of this episode on ADTV.watch.